uh, people who are not on our online um, email system to really try and get people onto that so that they get the news of the church. If you're not getting our weekly emails or if you're new to the church, you want to know more, uh, the best way to do that is to fill in a response card. You can do those hard copy at the box here or uh, on the online response card. That would be awesome. We really want to try and get as many people as possible within the church community on that so that people are getting uh, the news of the church. I'm going to pray, and we're going to, uh, at the end of this prayer, I'm going to pray this church prayer, which we've written together as a church, which really sums up the heart of who we are and what we believe God wants us to be doing. If you haven't got a copy of that, we can get you a copy of it. It's online, it's on Facebook. Uh, I, think we've got, I think you put it on Instagram. Um, we've got hard copies. Please get one of these, and in your quiet time, or where, you know, be praying this prayer. Uh, keep it in your Bible for when you do your quiet time, if you use a hard copy Bible, I guess, for that. Uh, and so let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus washes all our sin away, that we carry no stain. Thank you that his power and his righteousness, his grace is complete, and we can rest in that. Father, thank you for the words of that song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that that would be the song of our lives that when people see us, they see Jesus. When we have any interaction with anyone, we would, we would have in mind, Jesus loves this person. He died for them. Change our hearts, we pray. Father, we, we do acknowledge that 50 years ago today, people walked on the moon for the first time. And we use these words like, we discovered the moon, but it was never lost. You created the heavens. You know every star by name. Even the parts of the scientific world and of space that we as yet have not discovered, you know they're already there. And they're there for your glory. And so in amongst all the celebration of 50 years since man walked on the moon, as Warren's already led us tonight, we want to give you the honour as the one to whom the heavens point. And we pray this prayer that we've been praying now as a church together for a while. Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all that you have done and continue to do through Forest Lake Baptist Church. Make us a church who look at people with the eyes of Jesus, serve people with the hands of Jesus, speak to people with the words of Jesus, and listen to people with the heart of Jesus. Unite us in the vision you have given us to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are and wherever we go. We believe you'll equip and resource us to be ascending, planting, equipping and multiplying church where you will do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine as you bring revival to our community. We praise and thank you for what you're doing and we will follow where your spirit leads. We ask these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. I've got a, a bit of a bone to pick with Warren tonight. He's done two things that I'm not real happy about. The first is he's given me this passage to preach on. And it's hard, like really hard. It, it, it does the whole uh, husbands and wives bit, but then adds on slaves and masters and uh, children and parents. So, you know, thank you for giving me three of the hardest parts of the New Testament. In one night, I'll get you back. And the second thing he did was he mentioned how good this morning's sermon was, which puts all the pressure on me to replicate it for tonight. So, mate, you just need to stop that kind of nonsense, okay? But as I went into this passage, I mean, honestly, I mean, I've preached on this, particularly the first part we're going to look at tonight about wives and husbands. 
and I don't think I've ever preached on it without someone coming to me afterwards and saying, great sermon, but you're completely wrong. Everyone, seriously, everyone comes to this passage with their own point of view, and if the preacher doesn't tell them what they expect to, be, to hear, then you're wrong. And uh, so when I first looked at this last week to realize this is the passage that I had apparently said yes to, I don't think that's true, but apparently I did, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. And then it occurred to me, I've just got this picture up here, because we so often miss the forest for the trees, don't we? So I started to get right into the depths of this, and I was looking at what does this word submit mean in the original Greek, and blah, 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 until I realized that's not the point. I would encourage you to go into this passage in depth in your own time, but that's not what we're going to do tonight. Because I went to a seminar a few weeks ago, and a guy asked a question, why did Paul address this particular, and there was another issue, but why did Paul address this issue to these people this way? And it was such a profound question to me that when I applied it to this passage tonight, I came at it from a completely different point of view. So we're not going to get into the whole, what does submission mean? What does that mean? What, what does it look like, children and parents? Because... I used to have one view on that, but now I'm a parent. I have a completely different view on that. And so we're not going to get into that. We're going to look at this as a whole tonight. And so I'm going to read the passage, first of all, all the way through. Then we're going to take it apart, but we're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to do it a little bit differently tonight. It'll be up on the screen, but I, I would encourage you to have the passage open in front of you if you have a Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up and Warren will get you one. So just do that if, if that's for you. But let's get into Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 to, through to chapter 6, verse 9. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Uh, now, as the church, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. I love that verse as a dad. I'm just going to read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Hallelujah, because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up, your, up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord, 
And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master, their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Before we get into this passage, we actually need to put it in the context of what Paul has said just before this. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, which Warren preached on magnificently last week, it says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What Paul is saying is, be filled with the Spirit, and this is how you're going to see it. Be filled with the Spirit, and how you're going to see it is, you're going to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You're going to sing and make music with your heart to the Lord. You're going to be a thankful person, and you're going to be a submitting person. And the question I have is, if, if his big idea is, I want you to be filled by the Spirit, I want you to show the evidence of the Spirit's impact in your life, why does he choose submission as the key thing? Why, un, why unroll it that way? Well, it's helpful to know a little bit about ancient Ephesus. I'm a bit of a history nut, and if you're not, I'm sorry, but you should get on that train because it's a good one. And Ephesus was an amazing city in the ancient world. Ephesus predated Rome and was more magnificent than Rome. And if you just put up the next slide there, Chris, this is the temple of uh, Artemis, who was the local god. Now, we can look at that picture and say, yeah, so what? That temple was 129 metres long. It was another 68 metres wide. And I was trying to think, what would be com comparable in Brisbane to that? And the only thing I could come to was Lang Park. Like, it's the only thing I can think of that's that long. So if you think in the ancient world, when they had no machines, no bulldozers, no, they had people... They built Lang Park on the top of a hill. And what's more amazing about this temple is the stuff that they used to build it wasn't even local. They had to bring it in. And they built this magnificent temple and historians of the day, people who went around the ancient world, they, one of them particularly wrote, I have seen the temple in our, uh, of Zeus, I have seen Athens, I have seen all the ancient world or the world, but what the one that takes my breath away is the temple of Artemis. And basically, the Ephesians were about status and power. And the temple to Artemis was basically their way of flipping the bird at the rest of the world. Look at us. You have got nothing on us. It was the New York of the ancient world. They were impressive, and they meant to be impressive. They had a, a spring under their city which meant even if an army attacked them, they were never going to run out of water. They would never run out of food. They were completely self-sufficient. They didn't even have to have their own industry because of where they were in the world, trade had to come through Ephesus. Every bit of trade that went from Africa to Europe to Asia, all of it had to go through Ephesus. They were rolling in money. They had so much money, it is said of Ephesus, they ran out of ways to spend it. But this is an impressive, impressive city. And what fueled their impressiveness was this desire to be seen, to have status and to have power. And if you've heard of Alexander the Great, one of the great conquerors of the ancient world, he conquered the known world at the time. 
he knew that if he got on with Ephesus, if he, if he could get them on side, which he did, that he would have enough money to fund his expeditions for his lifetime. And they got on board. So if this is the people that Paul is writing to, they are full of themselves. They think they are awesome. They know they are awesome by world standards. Um, what does he say to them? How are they going to see the Spirit come alive? And he says, submit. Can you imagine saying to a, a, a group of people that have, been, have grown up their whole life being told, be powerful, be seen, be known, have as many followers as you can, get as many likes of your post as you can, and Paul says, submit. This was groundbreaking. This was mind-bendingly difficult for them. And so Paul chooses three sets of relationships to kind of flesh this out. Husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. Now, why does he choose those three? Well, I think he chooses those three because Paul knows and God knows that if we are going to show Jesus to others, the ones who are going to see it are the ones who are closest to us. And if you look at those three sets of relationships, that's where we spend most of our time, with our families and in our workplace. And if we were to look at the ancient Ephesian world, as they looked at each of those relationships, this is how they would have understood it. If you go to the... there. Wives, you usurp power. There was a cult in the ancient Ephesus that said to women, uh, it's not about uh, having a marriage of uh, producing wonderful, a wonderful life or, or having goods or whatever. It was actually about not having stuff. It was about having power. And the wives were told, you go and take the power from your husband. And husbands were told, abuse your wives. It was openly said, beat your wives. If they get out of hand, beat them. Even better, beat them before they get out of hand. This was, this was the society in which they lived. To parents, the children were told, get whatever money you can get from your parents. Get as much as you can get and squander it. Go nuts. Go to town. If this was the ancient New York, you find the ancient Las Vegas and you go crazy. And for the ancient parents, they were told, Beat your kids. And this is true. Uh, the schoolmaster, so what would it used to happen is the kids weren't, didn't go off to school. The wealthy people had a tutor. And the tutor would teach the kids, but the tutor would live in and they would walk around. They'd teach them about life and all the rest of it. And in the ancient world, whenever we see pottery of what these ancient teachers were like, they always had something in common across all of the ancient world. They had rods in their hand because they were known for beating the kids. So this ancient world is about power and status, and if anyone threatens that status, you beat them. To, to slaves, they were told, rob your masters. Get away with what you can. And masters were told, do whatever you want, basically, but slaves are not even people. Slaves weren't even regarded as people. They were assets. They were possessions. And Paul, writing to this, I cannot get my head around this, writing to these people who are consumed with power and status and being seen, look at what Paul writes to them. To the wives, he says in verse 22, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. To the husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, when it says uh, there that the husband is the head of the wife, that is one of those verses that, 
We just need to stop on for a minute because that has become one of the most misused and abused verses in all of Scripture. When it says that the man is the head of the home, it does not mean the man is the ruler. Because that's not the way Jesus loved the church. The way Jesus loved the church was to go to a cross to die for her. And so I want to say very, very clearly, and I feel very passionate about this, and whenever I get a chance, I'll tap on it. This is not a verse to throw around to justify abuse in a marriage. Ever. The he- you know, the, I, have, I have just come across so many Christian women who think they are doing the right thing by Scripture by staying in an abusive relationship because, oh, well, he's the head of the church and I, he's the head of me and I've got to submit. No. That's an abuse of Scripture. And the Bible actually says that if people are going to abuse others, they should watch out because God, tend, God jumps in to stand for the, the one who's being abused. Don't ever, ever condone or see this as what it means. What Paul is saying in this place is, you each need to understand your role. That it's not about gaining power, it's about loving this other person so that they become the person God wants them to be. To the child, to this one who's told to squander the wealth and do whatever you want, get away, get to Vegas, do whatever you want with their parents' money, what does he say to them? Obey your parents in the Lord. Honour them. Honour your parents. And to parents who were used to beating their kids and so lazy to not beat their own kids, they'd employ someone to beat their kids. The parents are told, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And to these uh, slaves who were stealing stuff, who would take whatever opportunity they could, could to take stuff of their masters, Paul writes to them, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the ma- to the Lord and to the master who thinks of this slave as possessions, as having no, no value, he says, oh, this, blew, this blew my mind, and masters, treat your slaves the same. Can you imagine that? If you have spent your whole life being told that these slaves that you have are worthless people, they're not even people. Now Paul says, you treat them the same as you. They are equal to you in the sight of God. See, we so easily fall into the trap of thinking that the way we do things because do them the way we do them is right and therefore God approves. But what God says is, I want you to see people the way I see them. I want you to love people the way I love them. I don't want you to treat them as ways to get what you want. You don't treat people as stepping stones to your goals. They are my, I love them. I sent my son to die for them. Treat them with value and respect. And so in the the last column there that uh, Chris will put up now, it's pretty obvious what the command is for us in this passage. Honour everyone. Treat everyone with honour and respect. If they disagree with you, love them. I mean, in our society now, if someone disagrees with us, they become our enemy. And I just saw someone, uh, one of our political leaders, post on Facebook yesterday. 
about someone on the other side of politics. This person has no integrity. I, I don't know how they can say that. But if they, if they disagree with us, they must be bad people. It's not true. God loves them. But we so often go into a situation where we look to make sure that we're going to be okay. And for me, this happened years ago when I was working. I'd started as an accountant and I started working in the recession and it meant that to get a job was hard. And I finally got a job and I, uh, I was the only trolley boy that had two university degrees. But I finally got a job in accounting and I wanted to, and I wanted to keep it. And there was a guy in our firm, his name was Martin. I, I will remember his name to my dying day. And Martin was just this odd guy. Like, you know, you come across those people in life. I mean, maybe there's a few of you here, I don't know. But um, they're just odd, right? And the place I worked was toxic. And he started work about uh, six months after me in the firm. And he had this way of saying stuff was a bit odd. And they used to pick, like, just, it was like, 10-year-old stuff. And I can remember this one day, I remember this very vividly, we were talking about the application of GST, and I can see you all rolling your eyes when I say that. But we talked about what would the GST application to yogurt be, right? That's what you did as an accountant back then. And Martin jumps up and says, well, I don't think it'll apply to yogurt at all. And for the next two days... Every time anyone in the firm walked past him, they'd say, how's your yogurt? <laughs> like childish. I had the opportunity, because I sat next to him, at any time to have said, leave him alone. I grow up. But rather than stand with my friend and submit to him, it was more important for me to not lose my status in the firm and I kept quiet. He ended up being so badly bullied in that firm, he resigned. And I carry that. I should have been there for him because that's what submission looked like in that moment. But I was so self-conceited to guard my own little castle. He ended up leaving. What might have the difference been for the kingdom? For a guy who didn't know Jesus, if one person had said, I stand with him. And I'd got, I never got to share Jesus with him. And I'm not saying this to try and pull your heartstrings, but to simply say, like, it may not, we may not be beating each other like they did in Ephesus. But in our world today, we are still doing it. And I think today it's social media. And I have to ask my, I have to go to my heart and say, what does it look like for me to submit? And even in, like, this is really hard as a church leader because it is so easy because I get a platform here every week. I mean, I get to be the guy that stands on the platform with the pineapple shirt and everyone says afterwards, hey, man, how you going? And, you know, people want to have coffee. And it is such a great ego boost to be a pastor at times. Like, it's awesome. Especially when one of the younger members of the church bakes me a chocolate cake. Hallelujah for that. 
But what does submission look like? What does it mean to truly put others ahead of me? It says in Philippians chapter 2, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. What does submission look like today? If we were to think in just in the terms of those three couplets of relationships that Paul's given us tonight, we think if we, instead of thinking maybe husbands and wives, but we just think relationships. What does it look like to be submissive in relationships in a world that includes Tinder? Where we reduce people to swipe left, swipe right. Can, can we see what Tinder does to people at times? That we look at a photo of someone and we decide on the basis of that, swipe left, swipe right. It reduces people to nothing more than the value of their photo. Now, I have a friend who has met a lady that he's probably going to marry on Tinder. So I'm not saying it's always wrong. This is about our heart, not about Tinder. And if we think in terms of families, the parent-child thing, like I'm wrestling for me at the moment. I have a dad who has dementia. And I'm wrestling with what does it look like for me to submit to a dad who is really struggling? What does that look like? Because it's hard sometimes with him because he repeats himself and he struggles. And, it's, you know, I, I get a bit, come on, dad, I just told you that five minutes ago. I just need to submit to him. He's my dad. What does it mean for me to look at my four kids on a Monday morning when it is horrendously hard to get them out of, out of the house for school? And submit to them. I'm their dad. I don't submit, do I? Well, it says in the scriptures, submit to everyone. What does it look like in the workplace or the schoolyard or the university, the academia, to submit to one another? Because the truth of the Christian life is this. Submission paves the road to glory. Submission paves the road to glory. We have a guy in our church named John. And when he was in the workplace, he still works, I shouldn't, shouldn't say was, he led he 